You are listening to CX Insider, conversations on customer experience presented by SailMove. Hey everybody, I'm Jeffrey Mack, Director of Marketing at SailMove, and welcome to CX Insider, SailMove's podcast on customer experience. Today, our CEO, Dan McKaylee, is going to speak to Kerry Nelson. Kerry is the founder and CEO of Customer First Now. It's a customer delight company that specializes in customer centricity and grabbing hold of the customer experience through predominantly customer journey mapping. In this episode, we're going to talk to Kerry about how customer journey mapping can really serve as a vital exercise for improving the customer experience. We'll also discuss the importance of understanding not only what customers say, but also what they do. And finally, we'll learn what it takes to operationalize the key findings of customer surveys and mapping exercises, ensuring that the outcome is more than just a pretty picture on the wall. So without further ado, here's Dan and Kerry. Welcome to another episode of CX Insider, conversations on customer experience. In each episode, we speak to a senior business leader whose role relates to the customer experience, and we dive in deep into specific projects or tactics that they've employed to improve CX. So today, our guest is Kerry Nelson. Kerry is a co-founder and CEO of Customers First Now, a customer delight company that specializes in customer centricity and really grabbing hold of the customer experience through the customer journey mapping exercises that they do, and they are headquartered in Inglewood, Colorado. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. So, can you please tell a little, tell our audience a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, CFN? Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Uh, so, I think I, you know, where I always start is, I mean, I was the customer of uh, the customers which are typically um, CX executives, chief customer officers. Um, and so I was with uh, two companies, B2B global companies, one Dun & Bradstreet, and I led customer experience uh, my last uh, four years I was there for the CEO and the executive team. And then I came to Denver, where I am today, and joined another uh, large growing B2B company called IHS and led what we called Customers First for the CEO um, for five years. And I think the, the key there is, you know, having been in the shoes of our customers and, and really see the complexity of what it really means to lead customer experience not just from the customer perspective, but what it means to all the team members and how you bring people along is really why myself and Jerry Stead started this company three years ago, because it really is what we saw is when we were on the customer side is that we couldn't really find anyone from that had the combination of thought leadership the tools, the data analytics to bring it all together and really help us programmatically link customer experience to the financial outcomes. We we learned a lot. We did it ourselves. And so, you know, we believed we have an approach that works for other companies. And that's why we started Customers First Now is to help guide and be in, you know, with our customers in the implementation of what they need to do to drive customer experience, not just 
here's what to do. It's how to do it and how to connect it to financials and actually see the results. So that's that's what gets me excited every day. Right. There's always this this inherent challenge with making things actionable uh, when it and measurable when it comes to customer experience. And I think that uh, you know it, I think that with with your particular case, I think your vision is very much in the name of the company, right? Putting customers first now. So, but but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that vision. What was it? What did you imagine would be a marker of success for you uh, when you embarked on this journey? No pun intended. Yeah, no, no. It's a it's a great question. I think I I think I what I, I really had no idea. I mean, and, and I and I don't mean to sound uh, uncertain. I think that when um, having been in big global companies for twenty five years, I spent my whole life in big you know companies. You then start from scratch and say, you know, this is our vision, which was really clear is like, we're going to take the success, the learnings, the best practices and build a company where we can help other companies and be a thought leader in the space because we didn't really see anybody out there. How, you know, and that, and it was very naive, you know, I think, but I think that's what's good because if you actually understood the reality of starting a company, I don't know of, of any of us that would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us can attest to that fact. That's it's right. true. Ignorance, ignorance is bliss in a lot of cases when it yeah. comes to this topic. It's such bliss. And, you know, three years in, I would tell you, it's probably, and I did some really hard things in big corporate America, but this has been one of the hardest things. And and it's, and it really, it's more about when I think about, you know, our early vision, which was really to bring together, again, the expertise, the analytics, the, the data side, because that's my whole background with Dun & Bradstreet and IHS, very data-heavy companies. That um, So I grew up in that environment. And then, but also the tools. So to really look at it as, you know, it's a programmatic approach. This isn't about just building a journey map. This isn't about going and doing customer, you know, data analytics. And this isn't just about going and hiring a consultant to tell you, what it should look like. I mean, it's how do you bring all that together? Because, you know, you're as the CX executive or leader, where what wherever you are in the organization, I mean, you can't do it alone. Absolutely. And very cross-functional. So to me, it was one of the, it was a challenge. And it was also, you know, just the thought of being able to help our customers connect customer experience to the financials and and kind of take it away from being this hot tub exercise or this, you know, this perception that it's fluffy because it certainly is not when you do it correctly. Oh, yeah. And 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 do you think, you know, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that, the challenge that you're talking about. Do you think that it was challenging because there's so much variability in terms of what your clients are expecting in terms of customer experience? You have to, instead of having the opportunity to delve deep into one specific uh, one specific company's objectives as it pertains to customer experience, you kind of have to quickly adapt to different clients and understand those. Quick. Is that part of the challenge that you're referring to? Yes. I mean, there's, there's a lot there, Dan, in your comments. I, th- I think that it's, it's the challenge is, is when I step back, I had a hypothesis that there were probably more people like me out there having, you know, I've led CX 
two companies over 10 year period. And I guess, you know, one of my hypotheses is there's more people like that out there and they're testing and learning and, you know, but they're needing more rigor around their program. What I found is the reality is it's really still a very new space. People are, you know, being tapped to do it that never haven't even really thought about customer experience. Um, so it's new and it's how do we get started and it's how do we engage the senior team? How do we engage the team members? So it's much more, we're spending more of our time with our clients in the early kind of setup of the program and then helping them move forward to the implementation and the results and, you know, putting training in place and communications in place and reward recognition and performance management, all of that. Um, so there's much more heavy lifting than, and again, it's, it's definitely was part of the plan, but it's probably much more part of our work than I would have, would have guessed, um, where the, where the whole market is and where, where, where companies are in general. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it is a relatively new space and it, it's, it's always in flux. There's a lot of information out there. Um, so I, I'd love to get a little bit more into those specific kind of your views on the different topics of CX, right? So let's start with something as high level as how do you define customer experience? Well, I, I think that's a great one. I think that um, the way I define it always starts with, you know, when we're working with clients, the actual customer journey that defines your customer experience from their perspective, you know, all the way from, aware when they become aware of you to when they leave or return, you know, to your company. Um, so customer experience has to be one defined by the customer, whether you use journey map or some other tool, but you need to really understand it, document it. And that is your customer experience. It's not what you're, you think it is internally. It's not your processes. It's, you know, what happens when we're even building journey maps is, it's very easy to start an internal dialogue about, we might be talking about a touch point called, you know, answer, you know, answer customer service call. Well, then mm -hmm. we're talking about all the different, you know, customer service operational issues and tools and phone systems. But again, when you really think about the customer experience, it's, it is defining it from the customer perspective. And then the second part of the definition, it's really so it's the outside in definition of, you know, the end to end experience that they have with your company. And then it's the what is the result of that experience? You know, what's happening to the financials? And that ultimately is the measurement of success. You know, are you growing new customers? Are you retaining customers? Are you expanding existing customers? Whatever that financial metric is. But that is ultimately determines how well you're doing. I really like that definition, Carrie. I think, you know, so, so the way to think about it is CX is really two things. It's the end-to-end -end customer journey and it's the result of that journey, right? Uh, yep. Really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a very comprehensive way to look at it. Uh, and I, I, you know, another thing that I was looking at is is your CFN's framework uh, for, I guess, starting this 
CX exercise or the the mapping exercise, which we'll definitely get into as we as we move through our featured project for today. But uh, you know, the sort of defining the CX priorities. Uh, what's the current experience? What's the future experience? The governance, the people that are involved, uh, the outcomes, as you mentioned a little bit about. Could you tell us a little bit more about that framework? How, how do you how do you work through that with a client? Um, so. A couple things. We we first start with a we have a five step uh, customer experience approach that we've defined again based on having done the job twice myself um, and at my last company done it where we we grew a company from eight hundred million in revenue to one point eight billion in revenue and you know all of our metrics from customer delight to colleague engagement all increased and we could see so many of the um, connections in those metrics we leveraged what we did over that five-year period to build an approach that has five key steps from you know when you start to really understand uh, and define your current state and using journey maps um, all the way to when you you know engage your team members to you know look at your processes to reinforce the right behaviors through reward and recognition and performance management how to leverage internal and external communications how to leverage your survey programs to support and understand how you're doing um, so again, a framework that brings together all of these things that what I would say is when I, when I first start to engage with a customer, um, we, you know, what I see is companies are, you know, always with very positive intent doing a few of those things, surveys, most of them are doing some sort of survey, but they're mm-hmm. not getting the real insights or the real understanding of, well, you know, it doesn't seem to be making a difference to our financials. And so that's why when we when we engage with a client, we have them do we have this uh, best practice assessment, which which actually covers our approach so that we can really look at how they've self-assessed themselves and look at then again, our framework and come back and recommend the best the best way to address, you know, moving forward. So again, it's always about in a very practical way, how do we get going and how do we sustain it? And, and I always say there's two things that we look at it's pace and sequencing. It's not a matter if you're going to do the, all of these things you will over time, but there's a pace that has to, that you have to make sure the organization can absorb. And the sequencing is different for all companies. So, you know, the key is when we use our five-step approach is to have, you know, whoever we're working with do the assessment first so they can be part of the process and the diagnostic. And then we come back and we work together on a, a plan forward and then we implement. But typically we'll start with the journey map because really everything can be framed and should be framed from the customer touch point, whether that's a survey, whether that's, again, a training program, any of that, the journey map is a great foundation and contact setting to do that. Right. 
Right. I love that concept of pace and sequencing. I think there's a real art to that, right? You have to sort of, you have to keep things moving forward, but you have to know what comes first. You have to understand what is a priority because if, if you're not, if you don't put the thing, you don't put initiatives in the right order, things can absolutely spiral out of control. Um, I, I would love to hear more about, yeah, maybe let's dive in now to the specific customer journey mapping, right? So that is a part of this five-step framework that you mentioned, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So in the first part we were saying was focused on the self-assessment that the clients are doing, right? Yeah. And, and then we go into the customer journey mapping? Yes. And so tell us a little bit about how that journey mapping takes place. So they've done their self-assessment and now we start doing the mapping. What does that entail? So our mapping, we have a three, uh, kind of a three-prong approach to our mapping. Um, the first one is from the perspective of what do we think the the end-to-end map is and where are the pain points and moments of truth are, meaning what do we think internally? So it's an inter- a pure internal perspective. So when we build the first draft of the map, we work with our clients. Uh, we do one-on-one interviews. We also do a, a workshop once, you know, to validate this first draft. Um, and the reason we start with the internal perspective is because, as, again, as, as I know from my own experiences, so much of this is about change management. If you, if you, if you go and you start with the customer perspective and you say, this is the way it is, this is what we have to go do, who's going to go follow you? Nobody. Because people are stuck with what they think it is. Mm-hmm. Don't start with your team member's perspective of the journey. You will never, maybe, I, I still haven't found any example where you can actually move them to the customer perspective. Because it is change, it is change management 101. So we start with what do we think internally? So we document that. That helps us build the draft of the map end to end. So we have, you know, most of the maps we build are about 160, 170 touch points. Again, because you're trying to inventory every single potential touch point the customer has with you from everything happening in marketing and sales and whether it's onboarding and training and the using of the products and services all the way to complaining and support and when they want to cancel or leave you or come back to you. So we do that. That's the first part of our journey map is to get, what do we think internally? Then everybody's aligned. They're like, yep, that's what it is. Here's our pain points, which are the irritants. And then the moments of truth are, where what things really matter that you get right. So we ask people internally what they think. Then we go to the the second part of um, our journey map process, which is what do our customers say? So and it's really important what they say because the the third the third part is what they do. So mm-hmm. what they say is you know we look at any survey data that our customers have. We look at we do one on one interviews with customers to get that qualitative feedback. So now that we have a draft of the map, we drill into pain points and moments of truth, and we get their perspective what they think is working and not working and what really matters to them and why. So from that perspective, then we come back to the same group that we met with 
And then we bring them along on the journey, you know, not to overuse the word, but it is a journey. And so we're bringing the internal teams now and saying, okay, here's what we said internally. Now, here's what your customers are saying. So here's kind of the shift of what we have to start to believe the customer's view. And, And then the last step is what are the customers actually doing? So we all say a lot of things in surveys. I mean, I take every survey there is possible to take because I want to actually see if anyone does anything about it, which most of the time they don't. And so what you want to do is you're trying to understand what people say in surveys or say wherever you're wherever you're getting this perspective, but ultimately what things are driving their the financial behaviors, how they're spending with you. Are they spending more? Are they spending less? Are they leaving you? Are they staying? And so we do, that's where we bring in our analytics team. We have a data scientist team in Bangalore, India, and we then link that financial data back to the map to really hone in on where are the top three areas that really need to be actioned because those are the things driving your customers spending behavior with you. Mm-hmm. And, that's a, and, and I'll tell you that third piece of it, most people that do journey mapping, I mean, whether you do it yourself or another company helps you do not do that third step. And again, because of my um, background in data and analytics, I mean, I can't even imagine having a journey map that doesn't actually start to connect to the financials that's going to give you the real aha moments of where those moments of truth really are impacting how people are spending money with you. Right. That's where you see the rubber meet the road, right? That's where the, the results are coming through. Yes. And, and so, oh, I, I, so that, that's really interesting. So we have the internal perspective and then external perspective, what they say and external perspective, what they do. Right now, that's- what is the what is the ultimate output of this? You you mentioned there were these three areas. So that, so at the end we find as a the client finds three areas, or you help the client find three actionable areas to to go forward with. But what's the ultimate output of the of of looking through these three steps and then uh, addressing these three areas? Yeah. So let me give you an example. Um, so we worked uh, with a technology SaaS company uh, in Arizona that sells to small businesses, 90,000 small businesses. And um, they we went through the three steps. At the end of it, um, the, the key is, so I'm, you know, sit there and present back to the CEO and the leadership team. Um, there was an early on hypothesis that uh self-service as an example was a really important area to spend money on and improve and it'll improve the customer experience that was one two customer service was the root of all evil and really the problem it was part of the problem but there was a reason it was part of the problem so um so there were these perceptions that customer service was a bigger part of the problem than maybe it was, and that self-service was going to help spending more money on self-service and improving it was going to help. So because at the end of it, what you're trying to get to is where, what are the top, you know, and I always say it's three to five areas, no more than that, that you're going to go focus on 
and ensure that you have clear actions, metrics, owners, and start to drive through a really clear CX scorecard, as I would call it. Um, and in this example, what we found is when we actually linked what the customers say to what they do, and we were using a uh, uh, churn data and cancellation data. So that was, you know, being a SaaS company, this was their most important financial metric is churn that they were trying, you know, to reduce. And what we found was in the areas that we've, on the map that we look at, customer service was, you know, uh, it was something like 20 some percent of the churn problem because of long hold times, um, needing to train other uh, people to be more technically savvy, you know, so there were clear diagnostic things that we could go off and do. So you get very clear when you're doing it against a map, it's great because you can get very prescriptive. It's not like just like customer service and go figure out what that means. It was uh, training and knowledge specifically to technical uh, aspects, uh, their knowledge. And then it was long, long wait times for answering calls, which we were able to solve through better routing of, uh, of the calls and um, understanding of the type of calls. So that was, that ended up being one of the top three areas. But what wasn't was self service that ended up being less than if they would have focused on self-service it would have less than a two percent impact to churn so it's like don't do it right now if you don't need to do it and you you know it's like again companies only have so much resource and money so my my guidance to the team was like that would not be something i would do right now yeah that's that's exactly what you're talking about before, which is the sequencing, right? Like identifying what has to come first, where to invest the time and energy into. That's right. So then the area, though, that popped up that was on nobody's radar was sales and marketing. That popped up as a very huge impact to churn. And the reason it was, because it's the why, why, why is it? And the reason is because in, in sales and marketing, they were positioning this product as a turnkey solution, easy to use, get going. And you're selling to small businesses who do not have a lot of time for onboarding and training. You know, you're sitting there with your all of four of you or five of you or whoever it is trying to run a business. Mm -hmm. So you're selling to small businesses. You're telling them it's this turnkey solution. It's not a turnkey solution. And that was like 20 some percent of the churn issue. So it 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 really highlighted and illuminated a big area that of the map that wasn't really being focused on. And so it and it wasn't trying to, you know, put anyone in a bad position. The head of sales at the time was just like, yeah, I mean, not defensive. It was like, here are just some fact based things that we see. So that way you can get much. So the goal is after you do a project like this, then you can sit back and say, okay, okay, we got to focus on how we're how we're positioning things, marketing, how we're selling this. You know, customer service had some of the things we needed to do, but we created these work streams to then work the issues, fix them, improve them, and monitor them as you go forward, and then wrap your communications and wrap you know, training as needed around it and any kind of performance management and goals. So then all of it drives the right behaviors as you go forward. 
I love that. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I really want to focus in on some more of those examples. I have one more question that I want to do that I want to ask you before we jump into some more of those, uh, which is how do you, you know, you offer also uh, some some technology behind these insights that you provide your customers and the work in the services that you provide. Uh, and, and so I'd love to understand how you how you see software and services coming together when you work with your clients. Yes, I think that that's a great question. And and that's another one where my thinking evolved uh, after starting this company, because, you know, we did build a SaaS, we have built a SaaS journey mapping tool, which was never our plan. But it became very clear to me that like CRM of the 90s, is that when if you think back, if anyone's old enough to do that, um, and working, uh, you know, you. I remember when CRM tools came out, and it was like, "Oh, you need to automate your sales processes and blah, and track this and that." And everyone's like, "Why? Why?" You know, and it, and it was really kind of the aha moment for me personally to think about that. We really, what's not out in the marketplace is a workflow tool to help people that are leading customer experience track from maps to actions, to scorecards, like, because what was happening is I'd go back and visit customers and the map would be on the wall. And that, that was about as much as it happened. And so I truly believe in what our customers are using the tool for, because it's really about the data you collect for the map, for your map at the touch point level, survey data, operational data, anything you can keep linking to understand what's going on at that touch point. But then it's driving actions and tracking that through a scorecard. So that workflow is really important. So we end up building our own SaaS tool. Our customers use it to then drive the workflow, make it easier. So they're not tracking things on spreadsheets. They're not putting maps in Excel. I'll tell you, because that's what we compete with. We don't compete. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, there's a lot of tools out there. The number one tool we compete with, and just from a tool perspective, is Excel. Right. You know, which is not a shocker. That's, you know, yeah. common. That makes sense. Um, great. So I want to I wanna dive into some of the, the concrete examples that we were talking about right before that question. So our featured project for today is really the work with the complex B2B organizations that you've done in the past. And so... How do we get these maps, these journey maps off the wall and put them into action? Tell us a little bit more about your work with these large organizations and what the challenges are there. Yeah, I, I love the B2B environment because it is so, um, one, it's, it's, it's unique in the sense of, um, you know, and I spent my whole career there, so I know it well, but the thing with the B2B environment, it is it is all about people. Like this is, and it people being everybody. Um, so the first thing I always say is when you're leading in, and, and again, I have, um, I'd say 70% of the customers we work with are B2B. Um, most customers we work with have some aspect of B2B, whether that's through dealers or partners or things like that. But I, I would say that when you, when we're working with B2B companies and we're doing the map, the 
the biggest ahas and uh, insights come from that first part that I talked about with the journey map, that internal building of the map, because people are so into their own, you know, silos, which is purposeful. I'm not about breaking down silos. It's like you got to connect them. If you spend all your time trying to break down silos, you'll it'll you'll never win the battle here of the customer. So what I, you know, the first advice is we're doing the mapping. This is where it's so powerful is that you're connecting all the different groups of people. And in B2B, 80% on average never talk to a customer. So when you're connecting silos of all these different groups from marketing to sales to product to customer service to product delivery, to finance, you know, finance plays a huge role. I could talk about those, you know, pain points that, you know, customers have quite consistently. But the bottom line is you're connecting the silos and then you're also driving awareness and education about the customer experience. Again, to 80% of the environment that never talks to a customer. So, I always find that first stage of building the map is one of the most impactful, mm -hmm. collaborative, people listening to each other. It's really a powerful team building as well. Well, it serves a dual purpose in my mind, because at the, on the one hand, you're creating the, the framework itself, you're creating the map itself, but then you're also the process of going through this exercise with the client creates engagement with them as well. So yeah. I, I think I think that that's a, it's a really it's a really powerful exercise to 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 go through for for those reasons. Um, so can you give us some some specific example? I'd love to hear hear about some specific examples with some of these B two B companies that you're referring to where okay we've gone through the map we've we've uh, identified the opportunities to make the the, the three to five areas of focus. Um, how do we make the? How, can you give us some concrete examples of how these companies that you've worked with have gone about putting those into action, making them happen uh, across the organization? Uh, yes. So I'll give you two that um, two of our most recent ones that we're still working with, um, both B two B. One is a manufacturer of hearing aids. Um, and one is a, and they sell and the manufacturer hearing aids doesn't sell to the consumer. They don't sell like via Costco. They sell to the audiologist, the doctor, you know, the doctor's offices. So they are real B2B. Um, and the second example is a, uh, is a, a technology company that provides, um, billing services and, uh, technology and, you know, basically they out uh, other companies outsource that to them and they handle that for very large uh, uh, global companies. So one's real technology based, one's more manufacturing. But I bring them both up because um, it's it's interesting. We started both engagements around the same time of the building the journey map to um, building scorecards. So in both cases, once we did the journey maps, and I'll talk about the, the hearing aid company, um, and we identified the areas, you know, so things like um, first fit 
you know, your first fitting experience with your hearing aids would be a touch mm-hmm. point. And it was also a pain point uh, and a moment of truth. So if you think about if you're going to get a hearing aid, that that's a really important touch point um, in your experience. Um there was another, uh, there was another touch point. Think about like finance, um, is credit holds. Again, the, um, we're, you know, selling to the audiologists and these dot, these offices. And so one of the pain points we un- uncovered were these, um, and again, it's w- one of these that brings awareness is that, you know, you have, um, put a customer on credit hold so then they don't get the product the patient comes in to go get their hearing aids but there's no product because of this credit hold mm-hmm. and and so it becomes a pain point in a moment of truth because if i'm the audiologist and i can't give the person their hearing aid that's a real person's come into my office to get it and i didn't realize there was a credit hold and so now i don't have my hearing aids for my patient so you know, like those are just two very specific ones. But the point is, once we've identified, you know, those as examples and we've gotten the buy-in from the executive team and said, okay, now as we've gone through the map and we've looked at these, here are the top pain points and moments of truth. Then we've worked with some of the more operational leaders to then brainstorm ideas. Well, how do we address some of these things? What could we do? Um, and then we built scorecards to then start to say, here are, here's how we would, here are the metrics we would put in place, how we would measure improving, you know, the different pain points, moments of truth that we've identified, and then who should lead it. Um, so we ultimately take from the journey map, and then we build a scorecard to track you know, the most impactful thing so that, because I mean, again, it's, it's, it's trying to get to a point where this is actionable mm-hmm. and alignment about who's going to go do what, but I, you know, so, so that's in, in an example of the technology company that we're working with as well. It's the same thing. We've worked with the, you know, we've worked with the operational teams and the leaders of the different areas to then come up with, the air, you know, based on the map insights and what the data tells us, now we have to really turn that into what are we going to measure? Um, and that's a really important thing because you can, most companies measure hundreds of things. And in my experience, 90% of the measurements a customer would not care about at all. I mean, that's always a test. Is it really external facing? It's or- so true, right? It's sort of vanity metrics. Yep. That's right. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I have my own personal example. When I was at DMB, Dun & Bradstreet, my delivery team, you know, we delivered products and we had like a metric of 98% deliver, delivery rate on time. And I kept thinking, God, this seems so high. And the survey data was telling us that there was some something they're not happy about. So when I realized how we were measuring it, we were measuring it from the time we delivered a product. As soon as it went out the door, that was like on time, not when it mm. actually got to the customer. So what I did is I went and we did a quick survey to our customers after delivery and said, did you get your product on time? That was basically it. Yes or no. 
And the answer was not 98 or 7% of the time, you know, the answer, it was like 46% were wow. on time. Isn't that interesting? It happens all the time to, you know, this we're, you know, all not because we're, you know, not thinking about these things. It's just that you There's just a disconnect in information. Exactly. So that is a really part important part of the process when we work with our clients is to get to the right metric, the right. And again, then it's about leadership and the right owner of that metric to drive it and, and make sure it's done with the best practice in mind. So how you measure first contact resolution, you know, there is a right way to do that from a customer perspective, you know, things like that. Right. It's getting at the right information so that we can truly measure the success. And and so in, in that, in, with that line of thinking to wrap up the, the featured projects with, with these, with the manufacturer and the software company that you were referring to, what were those results? Or I, I mean, I guess it's ongoing and you're still working with both of them, uh, but are you seeing early signs of results and what, what are those looking like? Yeah. Uh, with both of them, we're ju- we are just at the scorecard uh, where we've just built the scorecard and getting those implemented. I would say just going back in time with, um, I mean, even even my own my own experience of leading this, and uh, whether at DMB or IHS at IHS, the most recent. One of the things we did see is when we did, and I had talked about first contact resolution, we knew that there was a gap in um, in how quickly we resolved issues and what, with what accuracy and quality. And so we started measuring um, our customers' perception of, you know, did we resolve your issue one time, two times, three or more, or still not resolved? So we asked them that after every call and email. And what we found was when they gave, when they said it was one time versus two or more, they were, it was like 15 times more likely to, to, to stay with us longer and spend more money versus if they even said it took two times from their perspective, which could mean it, we could have transferred them. They could have had to, you know, call us back or we had to call them back. And so we saw that that had a very direct correlation, that operational metric on our customers buying behavior. And those are the things you're checking over time. And that's why, you know, I mean, in any of that's why I'm going back to my example, because it's easier to talk about because I, you know, I did that for five years. I was just going to ask you how long it takes to get to those results, uh, you know, to really identify those correlations. You, it takes, I mean, in the first year, you you should be able to do that. Right. But it is a good, you know, you got to go through the process of understanding the journey and getting that clear. Then you have to get your scorecard in place. And then it's a test and learn. And what I always say, you know, what we do is with our customers is look at kind of on a quarterly basis, kind of check and see which metrics are, ha- you know, which ones are having metric. I mean, having um, impact or not. And then adjusting as you need to. So it is a time, you know, you have to have some patience here, but typically your customers are going to start to notice even some of the basics that you're improving. Right. There's some leading indicators there for sure as well. Uh, there are other, other metrics that you can be kind of uh, tracking to see the, the, the impact that will come in the future. Yes. Um, Carrie, that was so interesting. I really appreciate you walking us through those examples. Uh, our listeners love concrete sort of 
actionable examples of, of what we discuss on the podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. I have, I have one last question as we wrap up here, which is the, our, our, our typical wrap-up question. <laughs> what does the future of customer experience look like to you? I'm very curious to hear what you'll say to this. Yeah, I, I I think a couple things come to mind. Um, I think that as we get smarter with data, it's going to be less about doing surveys and asking customers. We're going to be much more, you know, using data to tell us what's really happening. I mean, you know, there's still going to be a need for a framework of something like Journey Map, where you're where you're documenting things. But I think the thing that's going to change drastically over time that we all experience is this idea of surveys to find out what's going on with our customers and more understanding how our data is telling us what's going on with our customers. I think that's one of the bigger shifts. But I would still say that that's a that's a ways off because the the thing that you know i think it challenges uh most uh executives and you know and most people is how to look at the data how to really understand what it's telling you but we will get smarter at that and we'll you know it'll be more of an understanding of your data and taking action on it versus relying on going out to a customer and asking them and then just hoping that they're telling you the truth that you know and in being that kind of uh I think it's a stretch sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the second big shift over time will be that, I mean, that this really is a role in a company that has uh, real legs. And what I mean is, even when I took the roles like at DMB, it started out as, I mean, customer service was outsourced to India. Our customers were unhappy and the president asked me to fix it. Well, I mean, that was my my start at CX, which then turned into a broader role. That's still very true today. Um, it's a it's it's much more reactive of how companies um, think about CX. It's it's not um, it it will over time be a more proactive way of building a team, putting the right leaders in place, and not just responding or reacting. Uh, to something, uh, and then saying, "Oh, we need to focus on the customer experience." The customer experience is is such, uh, and especially today, where we as consumers are so much smarter in how we uh, want to experience things. It's just absolutely critical. Companies become much more proactive on how they think about it, how they plan, and how they get the right leaders in place. Yeah, not doing damage control all the time, and instead sort of focusing on opportunities to meet the ever the ever expanding customer expectation. That's right. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see how that also in terms of the data, how that kind of also provides us with real time instant adjustments that we can make to customer experience. How that yeah. data sort of feeds in that'll that'll be exciting as well. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much, Carrie, for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, it was incredibly interesting to hear about uh, the customer journey mapping exercises that you do and just how important it really is to providing this, this, uh, this framework and this jumping off point for 
the customer experience. I really enjoyed the chat and I, and I hope that we connect again soon. Yes. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having us on today. Absolutely. And to all of you listening, keep making moves. You've been listening to CX Insider, SailMoves podcast on customer experience. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. To learn more about how SailMove enables the world's top companies to deliver an in-person customer experience online, please visit SailMove.com.